My voice isn't doing too well this morning, I apologize, but um, what I'd like to do is talk a bit right now from the scripture, and then we'll take a break, do some music, and we'll come back in a few minutes later, and then at the end of our service, we're going to invite you to come to the front for Holy Communion, and we'll ask you to come up the aisle, and servers will serve you up here, and this is not just for uh, church membership, this is for those who are Christians, if you're a Christian then we invite you to come. And I'm going to talk about how do you know and what is the evidence that you're a Christian right now. Um, Some of you know that I do a little short radio program, a little radio, I call it a spot, 60 seconds. Our church pays for this on the Greencastle station, and it's five days a week. And uh, this was one that is, I think, will be on this coming week. I'd like to read it as a way of introducing this thought from 2 Corinthians Uh, chapter 13, that talks about looking and examining and finding something when you're really looking purposefully, like you're sifting through things for evidence. So just listen to uh, this to start with. There's something both hypnotic and affirming about evidence. It draws us in. When we have a theory or suspicion and then find evidence that affirms our suspicion, it seems exciting and gratifying, even when the conclusion is not happy. At least we know. And if we only partially know, we continue to look for more evidence. The search for truth just sucks us in. As I said, it's hypnotic. Shows like Forensic Files are so popular. Anybody ever watch Forensic Files? Yeah. These shows are so popular because they document the search for evidence in the world of crime. Everything that, is re- everything that is real leaves a trail of evidence. You may tell me that you love your husband or wife. If I followed you around, it would not take me long to know if your claim was true or false. <clears throat> because I would find evidence pointing one way or the other. Many people say they are a Christian, but their lives show no evidence of this. In fact, their lives appear to be no different from those who profess not to be a Christian. <clears throat> this is alarming. Do you read and follow the teachings of the Bible? Do you attend worship and prayer with the Christian community? Do you give money or time or talents to the glory of God? These things are evidence. And it is there or it is not there. The very first Christians, we're told, we're told, met together in the temple courts and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Yes, we call them Christians because we have this evidence. So, uh, I, I want, in light of our communion, to read a verse in 2 Corinthians 13. First, this verse in, second, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Two, two places, two words, or two verses, where this word examine yourself is used. And this one, specifically in light of this morning when we come and we receive these symbols, just highlight the seriousness of what this means and what it is within our lives and the evidence that we are presenting to other people. This uh, verse says, a man or woman ought to examine himself before he eats the bread and drinks of the cup. So this isn't something we do lightly. It's not something that we uh, do flippantly. When we receive the elements, when we receive the symbols the body and the, the, the blood of the Lord Jesus, we should very seriously look at the circumstances of our lives, our choices, our habits, 
our, our, uh, our dealings and, and, um, and examine them and see whether they line up, whether we are actually doing what we say that we are doing when we come and we take this. Here's the other verse that I wanted to bring to your attention. I think I have a sinus infection, so I'm staying away. Um, 2 Corinthians 13. This isn't just related towards communion. This is just life in general. And it says, examine yourselves. See whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ is in you unless you fail the test? And so there's this element of, of self-examination that the scripture tells us should be ongoing in our lives. Examination, to examine yourself, means you're looking for evidence. A medical examiner, for example, a medical examiner is someone who comes to a crime scene and they look at the evidence and they make a determination if this is an accident or a homicide. Or, I mean, they, they examine all kinds of things. And from that examination... And the evidence that they find, they make their decision. So examine yourself means to look for evidence. That's, that's what it means. And as far as evidence goes, if something is evident or is seen as evidence, I just wrote these four words down. You could find other words, but these are words that we would associate with the term evidence. If something cannot be denied, then it would seem to be somehow that it would be considered evidence. It's there. You can't change it. You can't explain it away. You can't, you, you can't uh, wash out the stain of it. If, it's, if there's blood on the floor, there's blood on the floor. There's blood on the floor. And so it's undeniable or real or sometimes we use the word obvious as a synonym for evident. So my point is, when it talks about examining ourselves to see if we're really a Christian, to see if we're in the faith, when, when it talks about looking for evidence that we're in the faith, it means, are there things in your life that nobody could possibly deny? They would look at you, or they would listen to you, or they would follow you around, and they would say, wow, <laughs> there is, excuse me, there is no doubt, there is no doubt, this person follows Christ. There is no doubt because I see this proof, I see this reality. This is what it's talking about. Somebody said this a, a long time ago, and uh, I thought, you know, this is a very good statement. I, I suppose you've seen this before, or this is a, 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 just a good statement of this. If somebody were examining your life or following you around, and if the point of that was that you were on trial and the accusation was that you were a Christian, this question is, if you were taken to court and the evidence were presented, would you be convicted? Just a, a creative way of looking at the question that this verse lays out for us. <clears throat> In the 26th chapter of Acts, Paul, who is in prison, is talking to one of the Roman officials and he's giving him some of his story, some of, <coughs> his testimony, and 
he, as he goes through this, he mentions several words that I want to highlight or just pull out of that because I think those are evidence of what Paul is trying to explain. These are evidence that Paul indeed would be convicted if he were tried to be a Christian. He says to the uh, official that he's talking to that he met one day Jesus. There was a bright light that knocked him off his horse. And he heard a voice and he saw a vision. And the voice said, I am sending you to open the eyes To open their eyes, he's talking about the non-Christian world. First, he said, I'm Jesus. This is Jesus, the one you've been persecuting. But I'm going to change your heart. And then he said, I'm going to send you to open the eyes of other people, turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, so that they can receive forgiveness of sins and that they can live a life that is different than the kind of life they lived before. Sanctification means to be separate. It means to be holy. It means to be distinct or different. So uh, these, these four words or these four terms, these four things are part of this transaction that should be evident in our lives. And if someone were examining you and they were paying attention to where you go, what you do, and all these things, they should see evidence of these things. So before we look at them, I, I want to ask you a question. If it were you instead of Paul, can you say, can you say, uh, this has happened within me. My eyes have been opened. I have turned the direction of my life from darkness to light. Yes, I have experienced this very thing that Paul is describing as God's mission for him with the Gentiles. And so these four issues that Paul mentions are Eyes that are opened, um, and hearts that are turned from Satan, he says, unto God, from darkness unto light. You know, Jesus tells us that hell, Jesus used the phrase or the description of hell as outer darkness. And Paul said, it's my mission, it's the saving power of Christ to turn people away from outer darkness, to inner light and inner peace. It's to turn the the priorities of their life, the longings of their heart, away from Satan, from the destroyer and the deceiver, to turn it towards God. This is the mission of my life because this is what it means to be a Christian. And I want to evangelize, I want to bring people into the kingdom of God. And he also speaks of uh, that... In order that they can receive this gift, which we understand is the gift of Christ, the body and the blood, the sacrifice on our behalf, this was offered to us, it's given to us, but we have to receive it. And through our acceptance of this gift, we are given all, of the, all that Jesus accomplished is put on our account. The fourth thing that he mentions is sanctification. So... I'm simply saying here in this little speech of Paul, I see uh, some things that we can look at as evidence. And we can say, we can ask ourselves, okay, when I sit down and I say, who is David? 
What does David do? How does David live? What does David love? What, what does David believe? When I sat down to examine myself, here in this little synopsis by Paul are some things that I can ask myself. Is this, is, is this describing me? Is, have I turned away from Satan and turned toward God? Is that the, the guiding principle of my life to please God, to serve God, to love God? This is evidence that something has happened. Something has changed within me. So again, if you were accused... The, the word says that we should examine ourselves to see, to, to, to take time at, uh, once in a while to back ourselves up, set ourselves down, and look in a mirror and say, who am I and what am I doing and what do I believe and what do other people see from my life? Would they also be given the picture or given the evidence that I am a follower of Christ, or would they shake their head and scratch their, their head and say, well, I don't really know. I, I hear what they say, but then when I watch what they do, I see what they do on Sunday, but then when I see them on Monday, I'm not sure what, what the evidence points to. It's mixed evidence. You've heard that often. Um, often the difficulty in a, a court case, or especially a criminal investigation, is the evidence isn't real clear. You know, it seems to point this way, but then there's some other evidence that could be interpreted another way, and so this is where they battle it out. This is where the detectives and the lawyers and all this, they, they, they study this stuff. I hope that you, if you were under the examination of someone else, I hope that it would, wouldn't be mixed evidence. I hope it would be clear evidence that... Uh, that you would be convicted because then this is how we know that it indeed is real. Everything that is real leaves a trail of evidence. Some folks I've noticed through the years when you talk to them don't seem to have a great sense of assurance or confidence that they are saved, that they really are a Christian. And when you, when you kind of probe that or you wonder why they wouldn't have a, 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 a real clear confidence that they are Christian, because the Bible says that we can have that confidence, that we can know that we have eternal life. Um, sometimes I wonder maybe the reason that they don't have the confidence is because the evidence isn't there. Maybe they really aren't a Christian. And maybe... Uh, the evidence isn't there because there's no reality there. I remember uh, some years ago when my mother began to get dementia. And one evening and, and when just her and my dad were there in the house, she um, got supper ready and she set the table and put plates and silverware and all this stuff and she called him to come to eat. And he came out and she had the table in great shape and he started looking around and he said, where's the food? And she just looked at him with a blank look. Because there, the evidence was manufactured. There, there really was, she forgot all about cooking a meal. It never occurred to her. She just knew this was the time of the day and she was, guess, going on instinct and habit and so forth. Uh, <clears throat> there really was no reality there. But there was 
there was something that looked like the reality was there, but it really wasn't. I think sometimes the reason people don't have a great sense of confidence and assurance in their soul is there's no reality there. If they sat down and looked at the evidence, they would say, oh, I have never really trusted Christ as my Savior. I have never really fully turned my life over to Him. So, um, just for a couple minutes more, let me mention five things here that are <coughs> types of evidence. And, excuse me, I base this on verses of Scripture. The first one, Romans 6, 23, one of the more familiar verses in all the Scripture, in all the Word of God. The wages of sin, the result of sin, the harvest of sin, the yield of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. Now, that's kind of, it could be called God's diagnosis. We're all sinners. And the result of the sins of our life and the result of the separation of our life, it's not good. It separates us from God. And, it, and it's going um, to separate us from Him. But when you look at the last part of that verse, it says, but the gift of God is eternal life. So there's a cure for this problem. And a Christian is someone who has at some point in life been honest enough to accept all that. To say, absolutely, I admit, agree, and acknowledge I am a sinner. I <coughs> started out this way. I, pers- I, I, I know my inner being enough to know that apart from the saving God, grace of God and apart from the transforming power of God's Spirit, I would be lost. I admit that. I acknowledge that. I, I honestly have no problem with this diagnosis. When, when the great physician says, you have a sickness, I, I, don't, I don't deny it, but honestly, I accept it. Here's a second part of this chain from a, another verse of Scripture, and that is that the, the solution, the gift of God is eternal life. This all is funneled to us through Jesus Christ. And so it doesn't matter how, it doesn't matter what else you have going on in your life. It all comes down to a simple, very real <laughs> invitation. In your heart and life. Where you invite him to save you. Where you acknowledge your trust in him. Where, where, where the transaction has happened. And the reality that it's done for you. And that you can take advantage of it. And that you can have it if you put your trust in it. That God will transfer you the, to the account of Christ. When, when, when you humble yourself. To, when you trust him. You have to do that. There is no other name, it says in Acts 4, given under heaven. In, all, in other words, in all civilizations and in all history, all the different religious figures, all the different uh, famous people, all the different bright and brilliant people, there is no one, none of them, that can make me right with God except this one. There is no other name given under heaven among men 
through which we can be saved. Only Jesus Christ. So the evidence would point out, or the evidence would be in your life, yes, I do trust Jesus Christ. I am, delight to, I am delighted to trust Jesus Christ as my Savior. But not only does the Scripture tell us that Christ and his role is to save us, but it is to be our master. And so there are many places in the New Testament, many places in the Bible where Jesus is not only called Jesus, which is a name, or Christ, which is a title, but he's called the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord is something more than a name or a title. The Lord is is a, a relationship. If you confess with your mouth, it says in Romans 10, Jesus is Lord. And you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. These, these are foundational. These are steps that you can look back and say, well, there's evidence. There is evidence because I have humbled myself Enough that if Jesus made it clear to me that I need to head a different direction, I would do that. If he calls me away from where I am to some other place, I will follow. This is, the, this is what Jesus often did when he was here. He would say to men and women, follow me, follow me, follow me. Because he's the Lord. And he has plans and he has purposes. And we, the evidence that we... Uh, the evidence that we are saved under him and with him and through him is that we, would, we, we, will, we are willing to follow him. And therefore, we humble ourselves and make him the master of our life. I think of a place, an instance, after the resurrection from the dead, actually, when Jesus said to Simon Peter, now, it's not just about believing, Peter, it's about love. It's a relational thing. The, the Christian evidence is not just intellectual. The evidence of my Christian faith, the evidence, uh, the evidence of being a Christian is not just what I believe or think. It is actually efforts on my part to relate, to be, to have a relationship with God. So we use words like love. And, and, and so I... I think of when Peter said, or when Jesus said to Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? That's what I'm looking for. I'm not just asking if you believe in me. I'm not just asking, um, are, you, are you willing to acknowledge my uniqueness? Do you love me? And Peter said, oh yeah, sure, absolutely, no problem. And Jesus said, well, there should be evidence. So Peter's saying, well, what would that evidence look like? And Jesus said, well, feed my sheep. In other words, you're involved, if, if you love me, you're involved in my kingdom. You care about the things that I care about. And, and, and if I could just throw or add one more here to this list. Just to remind us that the evidence of our faith is relational as well as intellectual or static. It is relational. Just as if you, just as the, like you relate to other people, 
in your world or your family or at your work. If you're a Christian, you don't want to simply believe something. If you're a Christian, you really desire to have a relationship with God. And so you pursue it. And you seek after it. And this can involve many things. One of which is you're exercising right now, here this morning. That you come together here to spend a little time every week to focus on this relationship with God. To make sure that you keep the other junk in perspective. And to to make sure that at the top of the priority of your life is to have a peaceful and grateful and ongoing relationship with God. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says this, Grace to all of you who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. That challenges me. Not simply do I love God, but do I love Him with an undying love? This is, this is quite intense. Is, is the response of my heart so deep and so fervent and so far-reaching that, um, that it, it will go on all of the days of my life? If, if I could take you back just before I close here to this little statement in your sermon notes. At the top of that list, I have this written. I'd like to just read it. Become a Christian. Becoming a Christian is incredibly simple. You know, the jailer came to Paul and Silas and said, man, what do I got to do to be a Christian? And Paul said, believe, man. You got to believe in the Lord Jesus. And that's all he said. Pretty simple. Okay. I can believe that Jesus was unique. I can believe that Jesus came from heaven and came with a purpose and came to offer a perfect sacrifice in my place. I can just accept that. I mean, that's very simple. By grace are you saved through faith. You just got to believe something. That's not hard to do. But when we do that, if it's real, then change begins to happen in our life. And all kinds of processes are set in motion And this is the kind of stuff I'm talking about. Evidence begins to pile up in all different areas of life. That there's been a transformation. That there's been something that has transpired. Not just the fact that I believe. But because I believed, I became someone different. I became something different. And this, this is part of the evidence that the work of God is real in my heart and life. Heavenly Father... We are humbled and frightened and we are intimidated to realize how far-reaching, even how dangerous it could be to be a Christian because the evidence should come from each and every area of our life. If it's real, it's real. If it isn't, then we're just searching in vain. This morning... In this place, we come here to examine ourselves and see if we are in the faith. In his name, amen. We can go back for just a second. Just to remember what we're, what we're focusing on here. This verse that says we should examine ourselves is saying, look at the evidence of your life. The evidence tells you something. Uh, your many things about your life 
point out who you are, what you believe, and evidence is the part that is not deniable. <clears throat> you know, it's a funny thing to me, and it's a sad commentary to me, how often crooks and people who have committed a crime will deny, deny, deny. And they will look people right in the eyes and lie and say, uh, I didn't do it, I wasn't there, I have an alibi, and we've all seen this kind of thing. And then somebody pulls out a videotape or something like that and says, well, then how do you explain this? This is undeniable. This is you, and this is the place, and this is the time. And I've even, still, I've even seen them at that point still seek to deny in the face of unassailable evidence. But this is the point of evidence. A jury will convict that dude, even though he denies it, if the evidence is overwhelming, they, we're going to believe the evidence. Because evidence is, is proof. Evidence to us is real. Uh, someone can say anything, and they can lie all day long. But if the evidence is there, then no matter what they say, this is, this is what we need to look at when we examine our life. Don't just say, well, how often do I go to church? Or um, how, how much uh, do I um, read the scripture? There's nothing wrong with saying those, but look at all different areas of life. If you were accused of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? I want to mention two things to just kind of say the same thing in a different way. And that is that being a Christian is both the connection to God, we mean that when we talk about being a Christian, but it's also the ongoing commitment to God that is the relational side. There is the connection through Christ, but there is then the relation through ongoing living. Both of these should be evidenced. We should find evidence of both in our life. A connection with God is initiated through faith. That's what I was saying earlier. It's simple to simply come to a point where nothing else makes sense. And we say, you know, if I, if I, combed, all of the, if I combed through all the records and I, and I searched through all the ideas, I could never come up with a way that an offense or a sin could be forgiven, except unless someone who didn't commit the sin paid the price for it on behalf of someone else. Otherwise, that guy's going to be taken out as a reason. Justice is going to demand punishment. And there is, there is no other solution. No other religion has any other different idea that makes any sense compared to what God worked out in the, in the Lord Jesus Christ. So coming to a point of faith and believing that and say, yep, I'm a Christian because I don't want to be a Buddhist. I don't want to be a, a, a Muslim. I don't want to be an atheist. I don't, I, that doesn't make sense to me. This makes sense to me. That faith. And then the ongoing individual effort. Here's a verse in Colossians 2 that is very crucial. It says, at one point, you received Christ Jesus as Lord. You see that? That's the connection. That's, that's the moment that you bowed your head and said, Lord Jesus, be my Savior. I, I'm... I'm at the end of the rope. I don't trust myself anymore. I'm going to just trust you. That, in that moment, you received him. That's the connection. 
But then you see the next part. There is the ongoing effort of me and uh, of you and I as individuals that it calls living in him. And he uses two illustrations, rooted down and built up, just like a plant. You put a plant in the soil of the garden, it doesn't just sit there and look pretty. If it's healthy, it's going to grow those roots down, it's going to grow those branches out, and pretty soon there's going to be fruit that you can see. This is what it's saying. It's not just, the, it's not simply the connection. Um, I mean, the connection is, has a point in time where it begins, but it's really... If I won't, <laughs> excuse me, a Christian puts forth effort all through their life to the day they die to keep their Christian faith real, to keep their relationship with God real. That they don't just simply say, yeah, back in 1946, I remember I accepted Christ, but I haven't paid any attention to that since that day. I would, I, would have, I would say, well, the evidence does, is probably not real strong that you are a following the Lord or that you are a Christian today. There is this ongoing. <clears throat> but there is the other side of it from the connection is that because I'm connected to Christ and because his nature literally lives within me, and I'm now living God's life out through my body and my choices and my behavior. Because of that, then the, the choices and the behavior, this is what we call lifestyle, is going to honor this friendship with God that I work and endeavor to have and to keep, to keep alive and to keep fresh and to keep joyful and meaningful and to keep powerful. The things that I do, such as praying, I, want, uh, um, um, I don't want some other part of my life to contradict what I do when I come to the Lord in prayer. And so uh, the Lord's given us teachings about how he expects us to live. He holds up standards and expectations. James chapter 4 verse 4 that I have mentioned there says, you know, if you're going to be a friend of God, you can't be a friend with the world. Because those two are incompatible. So you, you choose and you make this commitment that is ongoing. And there should be evidence. There must be evidence of that within your life. So three issues, and we could all think of other issues. This isn't an exclusive thing. I just simply picked three that I want to mention this morning. In your life, I'm going to start with the Bible. What do you believe and practice about the Bible? Because if it's about Jesus Christ, the only way that I know anything about Jesus Christ is through the Scriptures, the Bible. So it's pretty crucial that I would acknowledge the Bible because the Bible is what tells me the story of the Gospel. If the Bible isn't really revealed of God... If I don't, I'm sorry, if I don't believe that the Bible is really revealed to God to tell us how to be saved, then I'm not a Christian. Because I'm saying I believe the message of the Bible, but I don't accept the authority of the Bible. And those two things, seem, those two things are incompatible with each other. So, the evidence of my Christian commitment and faith starts with, in one place, my attitude towards the book. Because the book tells 
the book tells the story. And if I say, yes, I, I love the story and I believe the story, but I'm not too sure about the book itself, I'm betraying the fact that my faith and my confidence isn't real and it's not strong. So Jesus himself said, you know, um, the, this book was given to us to live by. We're not just to live by community rules. We're not just to live by polit political laws. We're to live by the words that come out of the mouth of God. And these words, a Christian believes, are the record of what has come out of the mouth of God. Secondly, evidence. Not just the, my, my attitude about uh, the scripture, but evidence of your lifestyle. Does it reflect the character, the nature of what Jesus showed us was the nature of God when he was here? And we could cite many, many examples of the love and compassion at the same time, the sternness and the justice and the refusal to accept hypocrisy and all these things that, <coughs> that were Jesus' way of revealing to us what the character of God is like. As I'm, if I'm a Christian, there should be evidence that follows me around that I am making every effort that I can to, to, to copy that, to make that, to put that into practice in my life. Here's what it says in 1 John. As far as coming to know him, being a Christian, I can know that I'm a Christian. I can know that I really have come to know him if I obey his commands. But if I say, yeah, man, I'm a Christian. I grew up going to church. I live in the United States. Of course, I'm a Christian. But I do not do what he commands. This says I'm a liar. Now, I may not intentionally be trying to lie, but I am lying just the same. And from God's point of view, I'm a hypocrite because I'm saying this is who I am, but the style of living and the interest and the, um, the standards of my life are not walking as Jesus walked. Thirdly, uh, this is the relational side. This is the, this is the side that sometimes we hear about and maybe a little bit to the exclusion of the intellectual side. It's not either or. I tell you, it's both and. It is what I believe, but it is also a Christian, uh, is a person who relates to God by love, who seeks and pursues an involvement in a relationship with God. And here are things that prove it. The, the parts of my life that I have control over, I continually bring these before the Lord. I continually offer these to the Lord. <clears throat> I continually am drawn to the fellowship and the kingdom and the church. You know, uh, Jesus said, or the New Testament says, the church is his body in the world. Why would I say, oh, I love you, I, I, I believe you, but I hate your body. I don't want anything to do with your body. It would be like, it would be literally like a bride or a groom who got married and said, yeah, I want you to be my wife, I want you to be my husband, but I don't want to live with you. I don't want to look at you. We would say, hold it. That's just, that's just crazy. That you say on the one hand, you love them. On the other hand, you, you don't want to spend time with them. You don't want to pursue a, a relationship of depth. And so, um, this, to close with, is a verse in Hebrews that just reminds us 
that our coming here, for example, this morning, the fact that we're sitting here and you're listening to me cough and, and, and go on, um, this fact is, which he calls here, meeting together, such as our church meeting here today. This very fact is actually, if you go to the front part, the, to the top line, is you drawing yourself near to God. This is one of the ways. This is one of the avenues. Certainly not the only way. But it is one of the ways that he says we are not to overlook. So the evidence is there for the examination. And our, our role and our, it's important for us to examine. Oh Lord, reveal to us any, uh, reveal to us today what, what you have for us. May we, may we really seriously look at our lives. None of us are perfect. And you're not expecting or asking uh, that because you know that will never happen here. Moral perfection. But, the absolute unswerving commitment, undying love is what should be the evidence of our lives. And we, we pray that we can be humble enough along the way to examine ourselves, to see whether we are in the faith. Amen.